And so, in less than two weeks, it's decision time in the most important election in Scotland since devolution. We continue our story in Hollywood. A surge for Sarwar in the election battle for Holyrood. The SNP remain on course for a majority in May. And Covid restrictions are reduced as Scotland starts to reopen. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood. I am campaigning to get an SNP government re-elected, to have myself re-elected as First Minister. Hopefully, although I take nothing for granted given the PR system, we're in an SNP majority. And then when the crisis has passed, uh, to give people in Scotland the choice of independence so that we can have the decision-making about Scotland's future in the hands of people here, not in the hands of Boris Johnson at Westminster. Welcome to the Leaders Special. Over the course of this hour, you'll hear from all the main party leaders in Scotland. There are six of them. Willie Rennie, Douglas Ross, Anas Sarwar, Alex Salmond, Lorna Slater and Nicola Sturgeon. But before that, let's canter through some of the news of the week. Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar is seeing a surge in his ratings as the battle for the union grows in the Holyrood election. The race is also on for second place as Douglas Ross fights to keep the Tories ahead of a refreshed Labour Party. The SNP remains on course to secure a majority on the 6th of May. It's the independence election, of course, even if that word is being used more by the unionists. But a new opinion poll suggests support for independence is dropping from its high points in the mid-50s to 47% this week. Anas Sarwar says the political focus has to be on recovery from the pandemic. Covid didn't choose between yes, no, leave and remain. The aftermath is not going to choose between yes, no, leave and remain. And that's why what I'm not willing to do, I'm not willing to say I'm only going to focus on the half of the population that agree with me on the constitutional position. That's not acceptable. I want us to focus on everyone across our country so we can all work in the national interest to recover from COVID, come through this a stronger and fairer nation and focus on the next five years on what should be our national recovery. From Monday, COVID restrictions will ease even further. This means hospitality venues such as cafes, pubs and restaurants can reopen. Non-essential retail outlets and close contact services such as beauty salons can also reopen, along with indoor attractions and public buildings such as galleries, museums and libraries. The First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says opening up will continue and we should be in something approaching normality by mid-July. From next Monday, uh, all shops which are still closed uh, will be able to reopen and all close contact services such as beauty parlours can reopen. Hairdressers, of course, opened a couple of weeks ago. It will be from Monday possible to collect takeaway food indoors rather than having to collect it from a hatch or a window. And hospitality venues like cafes, pubs and restaurants can reopen too. In outdoor settings, opening hours will be determined by local licensing laws. Alcohol can be served outdoors from Monday and people will be able to meet in groups of up to six from up to six different households. Uh, the rules for hospitality indoors are different because the risks of transmission are greater indoors. Cafes, pubs and restaurants from Monday uh, will be able to open indoors until eight o'clock in the evening, but not yet able to serve alcohol indoors. 
Uh, up to six people will be allowed to meet indoors. However, they must come from a maximum of two households. Now, other changes that come into force from Monday are as follows. Non-essential informal childcare can restart. Uh, Non-essential work is again permitted inside people's homes and that includes cleaning and also repair work uh, and painting and decorating. Driving lessons and driving tests can resume. Gyms and swimming pools can reopen for individual exercise and indoor attractions in public buildings such as galleries, museums and libraries are also able to reopen from Monday. Finally, uh, but very importantly, I can confirm that all remaining travel restrictions will be lifted on 26 April for travel anywhere in Scotland and for travel between Scotland, England and Wales. So from Monday, you can travel anywhere across uh, Britain for any purpose. It is the strangest of elections. And while wild horses were not supposed to keep Boris Johnson away from Scotland, it appears they have. Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross confirms to me the Prime Minister will not be on the campaign trail with him. But he has phoned Mr Ross to offer his fullest support. In the Commons, the Prime Minister was bombarded this week by Labour leader Keir Starmer on allegations and suggestions of sleaze in Downing Street. What does the Prime Minister think is the right thing to do if he receives a text message from a billionaire Conservative supporter asking him to fix tax rules. If he's referring to uh, the request from James Dyson, I make absolutely no apology at all, Mr Speaker, for shifting heaven and earth and doing everything I possibly could, I think any uh, Prime Minister would in uh, those circumstances, uh, to secure ventilators uh, for the people of this country and to save lives and to roll out a ventilator procurement uh, which the uh, Labour-controlled uh, public account accounts committee themselves uh, said was a benchmark mark uh, for procurement. Now to our election special. You see for many many people in Scotland, particularly working class Scotland, uh, independence is now virtually a given. You know it's not really an argument anymore with lots of people. The argument is about how you get it and when you get it and whether politicians are going to get on with it or just keep talking about it. Put the country first, let's put recovery first. Best leader, best party, best policies. Couldn't put it fairer than that, could you? <laughs> You've summed it up well, Charles. <laughs> You'll have found this as much as I have, that legendary doorstep where everybody that you say hello to is talking only about independence, but I've actually never had that at any election. Well, look, I, uh, I, I've never had that at any election either. Well, you know, Boris Johnson's on a bit of a shookly peg here because his Conservatives are campaigning on the basis of only we can stop a referendum, whilst at the same time saying, well, it doesn't matter what the people of Scotland think, we're going to stop a referendum anyway. This election is different than any other we've been through, and Charles, you've been through more elections than I have. Um, but well, I'll take that as a compliment, although I'm not particularly sure it was meant that way. It, it was. Your experience has built up over far more elections than, than mine. Now, I may be wrong. I've covered a few elections, but it seems to me they talk more about it than you do. But I think you're right, Charles, that it certainly seems to me that they spend more time talking about independence than I do. And I've come to the conclusion that that is because they have nothing else to talk about. They are bereft of positive, forward-looking policies. Douglas Ross, you say Holyrood's focus should be on recovery from COVID-19, not a new independence referendum. But I wonder what if a majority of voters back the SNP next month, which would be seen as an endorsement of holding Indy Ref 2. 
Well, I'm saying there's, there's a way to stop that. Clearly, the SNP had a majority from 2011 to 2016. So they went into the last Scottish Parliament election with a majority and they came out of it having lost their majority because people united behind the Scottish Conservatives. We more than doubled the number of MSPs. We stopped an SNP majority and we stopped a second independence referendum. And I think as we continue to come through this pandemic and we still have to deal with the health response to COVID-19 before we even get on to the economic response, then people can see the focus of this next parliament really has to be a laser focus on recovery and rebuilding, not on referendums. Are you confident that you will retain the seats that you already have and in fact even build on the group that you have in Holyrood? Uh, well, I'm not going to put a limit on my ambitions. I think there's a real opportunity for Scottish Conservatives to continue to grow at this election because people do see it as a very stark choice. You've got the SNP on one hand who would take us through another damaging divisive independence referendum and you've got the Scottish Conservatives who would stop them. And there is that tried and tested method of stopping an SNP majority and stopping a second independence referendum. And I think people can see that Scottish Labour and Scottish Liberal Democrats aren't as strong on the union or on challenging the SNP as the Scottish Conservatives. So that's the choice at this election. So that's why I am uh, you know, very um, reassured that people are hearing our message uh, and they are also looking at our bold, ambitious plans to, to recover Scotland after not just the pandemic that we've all been through for the last 12 months, but 14 years of failure from the SNP. It's a very different answer from the one I got from your predecessor the last time we were having a Holyrood election. And uh, much to the ridicule of my colleagues in the media tower, I asked Ruth Davidson how she was going to cope with having so many more MSPs. Lo and behold, she got many more MSPs, but you're not about to put a number on that, are you? Well, I'm, as I say, not going to put a limit on my ambition for the Scottish Conservatives at this election. Now, your manifesto says you want to recruit more police, 3,000 more teachers and a £2 billion investment in NHS Scotland. How will you pay for this, Mr Ross? So we're the only party so far that has issued um, our costings for our manifesto. The SNP have been in power now for a decade and a half and have yet again issued many promises that I believe they wouldn't deliver if they were uh, re-elected and they haven't said how they would pay for it. So first of all, we said there will be a general uplift in the Barnet uh, funding coming to Scotland. That's from the Scottish Government's own figures. We know there's almost £5 billion of capital spending unallocated by the Scottish Government. And of course, we've got the Union Connectivity Review, the Shared Prosperity Fund. These are both UK government schemes here in Scotland that can help with our infrastructure plans. So as I say, we have costed our manifesto. We have said how that can be delivered. And it is an ambitious plan that supports education to bring our school standards back up the international league tables. It's investing in the NHS and it's investing in infrastructure and connectivity around Scotland. So everything's costed. It's all costed, it's all in there. I'm sure journalists like yourself, Charles, will go through it with a fine tooth comb, but at least we're putting the figures out there. And I do think people uh, want to see what the politicians are not only offering, but how that would be funded. And they haven't had that from any other party in this election so far here in Scotland. And I think that's disappointing. Now there's something else that I think uh, hasn't been offered thus far by anybody else, and that's a new communities bill. In essence, uh, a Barnet formula for Scotland's local authorities. And that takes me very neatly to a listener's question. This is from Drew in Uig, a listener to Radio Sky. 
And Drew's asking, is it time for a reform of Scottish local government and a change in how it's funded? And Drew's suggesting there should be a much greater percentage of tax raised locally should be retained locally. Well, it's a, a really good point from Drew, because of course, while councils can increase and in some cases decrease council tax, uh, if they increase council tax, the share of the overall pot that gives them to spend on local services is actually quite small. The vast majority of funding for local services through local councils comes from the central grant from the Scottish Government. What I'm saying since the SNP came to power in 2007, we've seen as the Scottish budget has increased and more funding has come to Scotland from the UK government, we've not seen the same increase to local government. So I want to introduce the Barnett-style formula, which would guarantee as the Scottish government's budget increased, so would the local government budget. And then I'd work with COSLA, the representative body of the 32 local councils, to see what is the best mechanism to uh, get that funding out to local councils. And at uh, Drew's point, you know, uh, he's part of Highland Council uh, out there uh, in Skye. And that's a huge geographical area. Uh, you know, issues that are important in Inverness, at Glenharcourt Road, the, the headquarters of uh, Highland Council are going to be different from the issues that are important to, to people in Skye. But crucially, I think the thing we have to focus on is just getting more resources to our councils because they've been asked to deliver more with less funding from the SNP Scottish Government and I want to change that. Now, this is from Ian Robertson in Haddington, a listener to East Coast FM. And Ian asks, what would you do to better support people who become disabled after retirement? Yeah, well, we've got uh, a number of plans to help those uh, who are disabled and also to help the, the older generation uh, in Scotland, so those after retirement. Well, talking of delivering here in Scotland, Ashley Keenan-Bryce in Greenock, mouth of the Clyde podcast, has asked the question, why has Boris Johnson not been to Scotland during the election campaign? And is it because he could drive support away from you rather than towards you? Well, he's not come to Scotland because he's dealing with a global pandemic as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He's obviously overseeing the easing of restrictions in England and the UK-wide vaccination programme. So I do think people understand that this election is different than any other we've been through. And Charles, you've been through more elections than I have. Um, but well, I'll take is, that as a compliment, although I'm not particularly <laughs> sure it was meant that way. It, it was. Your experience has built up over far more elections than, than mine. So despite all those wild horses that couldn't keep him away from Scotland, they have. Well, I, I spoke to the Prime Minister last night, um, but he, he just won't be here in person to do that at this election. Ah, OK. OK. Thank you for that. Why should we vote for you in the election? Because the Scottish Conservatives have bold, ambitious plans to improve our education system, to support our NHS, to reform our justice system, to give the rights back to the victims rather than the criminals, to protect people's jobs, to boost our economy. And we can do all that if we have a parliament focused on our recovery rather than another referendum. And five years ago, people united behind the Scottish Conservatives as the strongest pro-UK voice here in Scotland to stop the SNP getting a majority and stop a second independence referendum. We can do that again this time if people give their party list vote on the peach ballot paper to the Scottish Conservatives. Douglas Ross, leader of the Scottish Conservatives, thank you very much for joining us on the Weekend Holyrood Leaders Special. Lorna Slater, co-leader of the Scottish Greens, your environment policies have now become so mainstream, you face the problem of being squeezed by the bigger parties who've gone a bit green. What's your USP in this election? 
Well, I think you're right when you say a bit green. I think the main parties have not gone anything like sufficiently green. I mean, we're still talking, the S&P are still talking about maximum oil and gas extraction. The Lib Dems are committed to giving more money to the oil and gas companies. Labour talked about greenness, but then the Labour leader flew up to Scotland and they were talking about cuts for the tax cuts for the aviation sector. So I think it's clear that in this election, only the Scottish Greens have the solutions to the climate crisis. We're the only ones who really get the problem, but we put forward in our manifesto some really straightforward, fully costed policies that will, what I call three-way wins. They will reduce our emissions, they'll create tens of thousands of jobs, and they improve people's quality of life, like through warm homes, through having a reliable and affordable public transport system. On transport, you've just said uh, this week that you're going to create a new rail card and that's going to cut fares on journeys right across Scotland. How would you pay for that? I mean, it's the same with all of our policies. That, that, that's the kind of question that gets asked all the time of every party. How are the Tories going to pay for their tax cuts for the richest? How are we going to continue to pay for subsidies to oil and gas companies? It's the same question for, for every party. So our manifesto costs are fully costed. You'll see that in our manifesto. We do advocate, like countries around the world, we're coming out of a pandemic. Every party has committed to an investment-led recovery. So that's a mix of adding some taxes for those who can afford to pay, like, for example, a windfall tax on those companies that have made billions during the pandemic. It's reasonable, not unreasonable to ask them to contribute a bit to the recovery from the pandemic. And also it's not unreasonable for countries to borrow at this point in the cycle. Interest rates are low. Now is the time to invest. And things like our rail, um, rail program. So we've got the Rail for All, 22 billion pound program to upgrade Scotland's railways over the next 20 years. And railways are such a well-known technology. They have such a known impact on the economy. We know that for every pound we spend on that program, the Scottish economy will benefit to the tune of 1.6 pounds. So it's not so much a matter of where will we get the money, it's how can we afford not to invest when it will boost our economy this much. Now, the Scottish Greens support independence, but I do wonder what steps you would prefer to take to secure that. For example, do you want negotiations to start with London in the opening days of the new session at Holyrood? We've got to wait and see what the outcome of this election is. I, I think that we will have a pro-independence majority thanks to the Scottish Greens. I mean, we have had a pro-independence majority thanks to the Scottish Greens in the last parliamentary term. I expect us to have the same again pro-independence majority. That means that we have the right to ask the question. I certainly think that the process that I would want to see is us agree that we have the right to ask the question and then ask the question. And to me, you know, Boris Johnson's on a bit of a shootly peg here because his conservatives are campaigning on the basis of only we can stop a referendum, whilst at the same time saying, well, it doesn't matter what the people of Scotland think, we're going to stop a referendum anyway. So he's got to decide whether he's going to recognise the democratic mandate of the Scottish people or whether he's going to sort of unilaterally change the constitution of the UK to be one where we don't govern by consent, where what the Scottish people think doesn't matter at all. So I think there's some conversations to be had there. In terms of a timeline, uh, we, I don't think that we can start an, a referendum campaign until it's safe from COVID. It's really important we get out on the streets, listen to people, create a, a collaborative vision for what we all want for an independent country. And we can't do that until it's safe. But I think there's a lot of behind the scenes work that we need to do. You know, the Greens and the SNP are a long way apart on what we see as 
the vision for an independent Scotland. I mean, we see Scotland having its independent currency right from the start. We see Scotland that builds its economy on renewable energy, not on oil and gas. So there's a lot that the pro-independence parties need to do to bring a vision alive and then get people excited about it. I've got a couple of questions from listeners, if I may, uh, from Ian Robertson, listener to East Coast FM in Haddington. And he's wondering how you would support charities and volunteers to help people in a broad range of ways in communities across Scotland. So I don't have in front of my man that section of the manifesto right in front of me, but I would suggest you do uh, have a look at our manifesto. Certainly we value very much the contribution that volunteers make. I mean, I myself am a volunteer. My role as co-leader is an unpaid one. I'm also a trustee of a local social enterprise. So something that I'm quite excited about in, in how I like to reshape Scotland is not just with volunteers, but really rethink how we look at business. So we are often, you know, talk about ourselves as being anti-capitalism, that we think capitalism is what's destroying the planet and, and making things like unfair wages and poor working conditions. But that doesn't mean I'm anti-business. I would really like to see much more um, of a cooperative model where people are, you know, people build businesses that are right for their communities and pay fair living wages, more social enterprises, because I think everyone wants enough to live on and to contribute to their communities. I just don't buy this that everybody is only in it for the money. I really do believe that people care about one another. And thank you, Ian, for all the work you do volunteering. I, 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 we really do run on volunteers in the Scottish Greens and we value every minute of their time. Don Chisholm listens to KCR in Mori and he asks a straightforward question. Where do you see Scotland being in five, 10 or 25 years from now? So I have a very optimistic vision of where I want Scotland to be. I think the future can be fantastic. We just have to kind of reach out and grab it. So I would like to see us have an, uh, an independence referendum in the next couple of years, as soon as it's safe from COVID. And then I expect there would be a sort of transition period away from the UK. So we would start to be in sort of four or five years time, fully independent, you know, with our own currency, starting to talk about converting our currency and setting up our national institutions, starting to talk to the EU about a path for rejoining that EU. So we give our young people back all those brilliant opportunities that I had as a young person that we've now lost to live and work and study in 27 countries, to be part of the Erasmus scheme. Lorna Slater, why should we vote for you at next month's election? So only the Scottish Greens have the solutions for a fair and green recovery from this pandemic, which leaves no one behind from fairer income taxes, free bus travel for young people, and a public sector pay rise, we've shown in the last five years that green votes really make a difference. Our manifesto is to invest in renewable energy, public transport, warm homes, and protecting nature. This will create tens of thousands of new well-paid jobs and rebuild the public sector to address the urgent challenges that face our country. So in this election, our future is at stake with global science showing that we have only nine years left before climate breakdown becomes irreversible if we don't take urgent action. The Scottish Greens are the only party contesting this election with the practical solutions to address the climate emergency with the urgency it requires. So please vote like our future depends on it. Lorna Slater, co-leader of the Scottish Greens, thank you very much for joining me on The Week in the Holidays. Willie Rennie, as a leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, you're focusing on COVID recovery in this election. 
you're shunning the notion of indirect too and say you don't want to see it happen ever. But if there's a majority vote for the SNP next month, and that's not a conclusion, but if there is, that's an endorsement of a referendum. What would you do then? Uh, I try not to deal in hypotheticals. I prefer to have a debate about what's happening in this election campaign. And the choice that people have got is whether they want a parliament that is dominated by independence for five years, or whether they want a parliament that's dominated by recovery. And I know from having spoken to quite a lot of people in the doors now, that actually the recovery above all else is the most important thing in people's minds. So cutting mental health rates, getting bounce back support for education, creating jobs for people desperate for work, but also taking action on the climate. All of that is of greater priority than another debate about independence. So that's what I, the case I'm making in this election campaign, that people should choose recovery, not independence. It's very funny in any election campaign, and this is one of the queerest election campaigns I've, I've ever covered, but in any election campaign, I'm often told that the doorstep issue is independence or a referendum. I have to say, I need to knock many, many doors to get somebody to raise it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are saying, um, they're talking about the impact on their lives over the last year, about either they've lost a job or they've been waiting for a hip operation or they're worried about their child's education because they've been stuck at home all this time. Those are the things that are in people's minds. And that's why we need to focus on the recovery of our public services and jobs, the economy, but also taking action on the climate, because that's, I think, what people want. And I think the SNP are out of touch in wanting another independence referendum, but that's what they're proposing. And people need to be aware that that's what they will do with their vote. They will argue for independence for five years. I will oppose that because I oppose independence. And therefore, I believe the parliament should be dominated by recovery, not independence. But we're seeing quite a split, aren't we? We're seeing two, two parties that support nationalism, the Greens and the SNP, and of course, Adin Alaba. And you've got unionist parties, Labour, Conservatives, and yourself, the Lib Dems, supportive of the union. Uh, that's quite a split. We're seeing a schism in Scottish politics. It's uh, a bit of a choice people are expected to make on the 6th of May. Yeah, and I think, I suppose my message is certainly different from the Conservatives, is that I want to try and bring the country together. Um, I think the Conservatives, as we all know, kind of feed off the whole independence debate. That's how they did reasonably well last time round. They said they were the strongest party against independence. In fact, all they've done is let the parliament be dominated by that issue. And I think what we need to do is to try and bring everybody together in the country to focus around recovery, um, have a united approach. And I think probably, to be fair, Labour have adopted that approach as well. Um, because we'll need the skills and talents of everyone in order to get through this pandemic. And I think simply repeating the old arguments of the past over and over again is not going to help us focus on that recovery. To be fair, um, on that elusive doorstep that we often talk about in <laughs> journalism and in politics, so many people say they think the world of you, but that's not reflected in the votes that you're getting. Do you need to increase your profile? If so, how are you going to do that? Um, yeah, I mean, we think we've got the best policies, the best leader, the best candidates, and we're always surprised that not 100% of people vote for us. Um, but we'll, we'll always continue to make the positive case, as we have um, throughout this campaign and 
Um, the whole purpose of an election campaign is to get that message across, and I think we're doing pretty well um, with that. We just need to make sure we get the votes in the bag at the end of the day. But I think we're the best, so I think people should vote for us. I can hear the theme tune playing underneath this interview right now. <laughs> I, I wish to turn to some listener questions, if I may. And this is from Susie Lee in Portree, a listener to Radio Sky. And Susie says, with evidence that healthier people had a better chance of surviving COVID-19, what should be done to make the people of Scotland fitter and healthier, therefore putting less strain on the NHS? I'm going to resist or insist that they come with me on my morning run up Bernarty Hill at the back of my house. Um, but that perhaps should be one of the tools in the box. Um, but no, I'm in favour of people enjoying the outdoors, exercise, just a, you know, a half hour walk every day just makes such a difference to people's lives. Some people find it difficult um, to do that and we need to help them um, get on that path. And But the Systems like social prescribing are perhaps a way to make this happen. So you can get GPs, instead of prescribing a drug, they can prescribe a course of exercise or membership of a gym or some other form of activity because it's good for people's minds and it's good for their physical, their bodies as well. So I'm all in favour of um, health through exercise, good mental health through exercise, because I think that's part of the solution. So let, let's not beat people up about it. Let's try and encourage them, incentivize them. Um, because I think once you're on the path to fitness, it just feels so much better. I think you have a better quality of life. I've got another listener question. This is from Graham Howie uh, in Highland Perthshire, listener to Heartland FM. And Graham says, would it not be better to repeat this academic year for all pupils rather than press ahead when so many children, he says, have fallen way behind and they're unlikely to catch up. No, I disagree. Um, I think we, what we need to do is to make sure that every moment in the classroom counts from now on. Of course, you know, resetting exams are always available um, to pupils. They can go back and, and um, repeat an exam or sort of in the subject that they've not done so well in. That's, that's always open to them. But what we are supporting is to recruit three and a half thousand extra teachers to cut class sizes, making them permanent teachers so we can end the increase in casualisation of the workforce amongst teachers, which has not been a healthy step, by improving nursery education so we can extend free nursery education down to two-year-olds, um, but also making sure that we we have the SQA and Education Scotland changed as well because they were responsible for the whole exams bungle um, last year. We need to put teachers in charge of those organisations. With all of that together, I think we can make every moment in class count and we can catch up on the lost education they've had in the last year. Willie Rennie, why should we vote for you next month? Because Liberal Democrats have got the best policies. We want to put recovery first. We want to get bounce back support for education. We want to cut mental health rates. We want to make sure we create jobs for people desperate for work. We want to take action on the climate. We don't want to return to all the old arguments of the past about independence. Let's come together and put the country first. Let's put recovery first. And I think if we can do that, I think we'll come through this pandemic in a better state than when we entered the pandemic. And that will be a great legacy from this really dark period in politics and in the country as well.
best leader, best party, best policies. Couldn't put it fairer than that, <laughs> could you? <laughs> You've summed it up well, Charles. <laughs> Billy Rennie, leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, thank you very much for your time on the weekend holiday. Thank you. Alex Salmond, leader of the Alaba Party, you say you want to shake things up at this election, but are you shaking it up enough to make an impact on the 6th of May? Well, we certainly have made an impact uh, in the campaign. Uh, I think probably with no false modesty, I would say that Alaba has been the only exciting thing that's happened in the campaign. Now, of course, it will be determined as to whether the electorate is um, uh, impressed as the other parties are rattled. But uh, I suspect we're, we're gaining ground and uh, I think we're going to register support and MSPs in, in every region of Scotland. So I'm happy the way things are going. Uh, I think there's a big and very positive reception for Alapa on the ground. And I think that's what's going to tell in the, in the final two weeks of the campaign. I think everybody has a problem in covering this election, don't they? And I think that applies to the the media more than anything, because normally, you know, you get out and about, you get into the the schemes, you you, you count the posters in the windows, you you see how the canvassing's going, you you can count the campaign teams and the enthusiasm, and of course, people are really quite frank with their campaign. You can tell if they're down at the mouth or whether they're. They've got high hopes and none of that's available in this campaign, is it? Because, you know, basically up until now, at least, there's been no canvassing, no campaign teams and even very carefully controlled protocols. So none of that allows you to get an impression. But what my certain impression is that the Alapa activists are keen and enthusiastic in the sense that you get to speak to the public the public are very receptive to the Alapa message. I mean, I was at Glasgow Green, the People's Palace, yesterday. And in addition to the considerable number of press who were there and the, and the snappers, there were some sort of members of the public who just got caught up in the melee. And I was interested just how positive they were about Alapa. You see, for many, many people in Scotland, particularly working class Scotland, uh, independence is now virtually a given. You know, it's not really an argument anymore with lots of people. The argument is about how you get it and when you get it and whether politicians are going to get on with it or just keep talking about it. And when the Alipa message comes across loud and clear on the urgency with which we give to independence and the fact that we can boost the number of independence MSPs in the Scots Parliament, that's pretty irresistible. I mean, in Glasgow yesterday, all I had to say for was, look, 100,000 people voted SNP on the list and got absolutely zero to turn. Not a single MSP elected from the city of Glasgow on the list for the SNP. But if half of these folk transferred to Alipa, then all four of the Alipa candidates will likely be elected. Now, that's a pretty strong argument. And for an independent supporter, an irresistible one. And that's had some people claiming that you're trying to gain the election. Yes, well, luckily for us, there's been a, an opinion poll with this, hasn't there? The panel-based poll, which was released yesterday, uh, and that was put to the public of Scotland. Did they think we were trying to game the system or we had entitled to stand just like everybody else? And three quarters of people across the parties uh, thought that we weren't gaming the system. We were entitled to stand and we were quite right if we wanted to stand on the list. And 90%, 90% of SNP voters thought that. So, you know, whatever you know, the uh, accusations or the, the brickbats that are thrown at you by the high hegens and your political opponents, when it comes to ordinary common sense and you say to the public, are we entitled to put up candidates on the list and you can vote for us if you like, most 
ordinary folk say, yeah, absolutely. And 90% of SNP voters can see the entitlement of Alaba to boot up candidates in the list, hopefully to boost the number of independents supporting MSPs in the next parliament. This supermajority that we're always talking about. Mr. Salmond, I'd like to turn to some questions from listeners across the country. Susie Lee from Portree, a listener to Radio Sky, says recent polls show people in Scotland don't want to see more open cage fish farming. And Susie wonders how you would make fishing a truly sustainable industry without polluting the seas and reducing wild fish stocks. Well, I mean, I think the salmon industry, which has been a huge success story in Scotland, it should be said, have still got some serious questions to answer. Uh, I, I think the farm salmon has been a fantastic industry for Scotland. It's been a huge expansion. It's suffered recently because of Brexit, but, but by and large, it's a great success story for many communities, the, the length and bread for the, the Highlands and Islands in particular. But they have an environmental obligation not to contaminate the, the wild environment and therefore we've got to redouble our efforts to make sure that the fish farms are located in the, in the right places uh, and secondly that we continue the search for uh, environmentally sustainable solutions to the problems that they undoubtedly cause. Uh, but we have to get a balance between the employment uh, and the generation of a, a first-class product for Scotland and our protection of the, the wild habitat of all species. Don Johnson in Dunoon, a listener to DCR, asks, would you support the continuation of Faz Lane as a nuclear base? And if not, what would you do to replace the hundreds of jobs there? Well, I, I don't support Faz Lane as a nuclear base. I support the removal of, uh, of nuclear weapons from the, the soil and waters of Scotland. I, I think it's a reasonable question for and something which uh, Alapa is going to address. That I think commitment should be given uh, not just to Faslane, but to defence-orientated establishments, that while you're diversifying away from, uh, for example, nuclear weapons, and while you're diversifying away from defence industries, there should be a jobs guarantee, an investment guarantee given to these communities uh, to make sure that uh, different, more sustainable activities take their place. Alex Salmond, why should we vote for you in the election next month? Well, Alapa on the regional list because it will build a super majority for independence. Independence votes are being wasted on the list at the present moment. A million votes for the SNP almost last time elected four MSPs. If half of these people vote for Alapa, there'll be about another 30 independence supporting MSPs elected from the, the ranks of Alapa. So this makes absolute sense. If you want to see a strong independence super majority in the parliament, to face down Boris Johnson, then vote Alapa on the regional list. Alex Hammond, leader of the Alaba Party, thank you for joining us on the leaders' edition of the Week in Holyrood. Thank you, Charles. And as Sarva, leader of the Scottish Labour Party, I'm afraid you've dug yourself into a bit of a hole on Indiref 2 by ruling it out for the term of the next parliament. But then you say you'd be okay about having one later. Why not just get it over and done with or rule it out entirely? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I, I agree with the categorization of our position. What I've, what I've said is that this election campaign is people choosing their priorities for the next five years. And I think coming through this crisis of COVID, we should be pulling our country together. We should be focusing on what unites us, not what divides us. And I want us to focus on a national recovery a jobs recovery, an education recovery, an NHS recovery, a communities recovery, a green recovery. 
so we can come through this as a stronger and fairer nation. And if people decide that they want new priorities in five years' time, they get to vote for those new priorities. It's rather like Wendy Alexander a number of years ago said, just bring it on, let's have a referendum right now. And Gordon Brown said to her, absolutely no chance. Well, look, I, I would, again, not agree with the characterization of the question. What I would suggest that actually what people care about setting a home right now is not the date of a referendum. What they care about is keeping their loved ones safe, having access to the vaccine, making sure they have a job to go back to, if and when they'll have a job to go back to because they're on furlough. I think they're worried about their child's education and mental health. I don't think they're worried about a cancelled operation or the failure to get a, a cancer diagnosis. I think they're worried about the planet we're going to leave our children and our grandchildren. And what I would say to political parties, and also, frankly, to, to many commentators, um, is seriously, is this as good as it gets? Is going back to the old arguments, is going back to the egos and the settling of scores the best we can offer the people of Scotland? I think we can offer them something better than that. I think we should be pulling together around the national recovery and making sure we do come through this as that stronger and fairer nation that I spoke about. You'll have found this as much as I have, that legendary doorstep where everybody that you say hello to is talking only about independence, but I've actually never had that at any election. Well, look, I, 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 I've never had that at any election either. I, I think people um, care about um, the issues I've just outlined. Um, and I'm looking forward to being in as many doorsteps as possible. Obviously, we've had to have a different kind of campaign um, so far um, because of COVID. And I know um, I want just to speak to as many people as possible, whether that be by telephone um, or it be um, speaking to them directly on the doorsteps. But from all the conversations I've had with people, either um, at a social distance, uh, out and about campaigning, um, has been one that people recognise the need to focus on that national recovery and not go back to the old arguments. Now, the First Minister has announced further relaxing of COVID restrictions. Uh, in your opinion, Anas Sabar, is it too slow, too cautious, or just about right? Look, I think we're taking the right approach, which is backed up by, I hope, the data. I don't think we can go so fast uh, as to risk a spike in cases and then risk a further lockdown, which I think would have devastating consequences for our economy, devastating consequences for health and well-being. We have to make sure that this is the last lockdown and there isn't another one. At the same time, we can't go so slow that it stifles the hope and optimism that I think exists out there across communities. So I think taking a steady approach, taking a balanced approach, making sure it's backed up by data it is the right way to go. Let's turn now to some listener questions. And first of all, from Abby Keane in our dross and listening to 3TFM and Urban Beat. And uh, her question is, what do you believe is the key policy or action that you could deliver to gain the trust of the Scottish public? Look, I, I've been talking about national recovery and uh, the most important part of that national recovery, I think, is recognising the jobs crisis that we could face potentially coming through this crisis. And that's why I want us to make sure that we have the most bold and ambitious job recovery scheme in the history of the Scottish Parliament. That means a jobs guarantee for our, our young people, a jobs guarantee for the long-term unemployed. It means a £500 skills benefit an additional £750 for the long-term unemployed so they can earn while they train. Um, that's the kind of big ideas I think we need if we are to get our economies back on track again. I have another listener question for you. This is from Alistair Smith in Pitlochry, listening to Heartland FM. And this is on the rollout of broadband and communication. What solution can you bring to better connecting people in communities, especially in the rural communities across Scotland? I think it's a really important question and actually the pandemic has shown the importance 
of that digital communication. But as we open up from the, the pandemic, how we get that physical connection as well across the country, I think is going to be really important. That means investing in infrastructure, both broadband infrastructure, but also transport infrastructure across the country so we can have communities connected. So no young person is forced to have to leave a, a remote or rural part of our country in order to go and learn new skills or get a job or get new opportunities. So, so how we invest locally, that means in broadband, also in transport. And one of the ideas that we've spoken about is our Stay Connected Fund. So particularly for the over 75s who have lost out on the free TV license because of a broken promise from the Conservatives, I want us to reintroduce that £159 grant. For those that are not eligible for free TV license, they can use that to pay their TV license or they can use it to pay for their broadband so they can stay connected. But, but the fundamental point I think that Robert is making is how do we make sure we have quality of signal, not just access to a signal? So how do we invest in that infrastructure and then give people the appropriate devices they need in order to benefit of that is going to be really important. Now, your UK leader, Keir Starmer, has been on the campaign trail in Scotland. Why do you think Boris Johnson hasn't come and isn't coming for the Conservatives? Well, the simple answer is that Boris is a disaster. Devolution is not. Um, Boris is probably the biggest threat to the United Kingdom. Um, and I think the Conservative Party campaign is, is tanking. Uh, and I think he probably just adds an extra tank to the tanking campaign if he was to arrive. Um, we're running a campaign that is in Scotland, for Scotland, made in Scotland and led by the Scottish Labour leader. And um, that's the kind of positive message we'll keep going between now and the 6th of May. And as Sarah, why should we vote for you in next month's election? I'm saying directly to people that COVID didn't choose between yes, no, leave and remain. The aftermath won't choose either. We don't have to go back to the old arguments or the settling of scores or egos. We can choose something different. We can choose to focus on what unites, not what divides us. We can choose to focus on a national recovery plan. And if you agree with what I'm saying, Labour, on the 6th of May, or if you've got a postal vote, make sure you send it back well in advance of the 6th of May, and then let's work together to build that stronger, fainer, greener country we all want to see. Anas Sarwar, leader of the Scottish Labour Party, thank you very much for joining us on The Week in Holyrood. Thank you, Charles. Nicola Sturgeon, leader of the Scottish National Party, your unionist opponents in this election say you're distracting debate away from health, education and justice by banging on about independence. Now, I may be wrong, I've covered a few elections, but it seems to me they talk more about it than you do. No, I think you're right, Charles. That it certainly seems to me that they spend more time talking about independence than I do. And I've come to the conclusion that that is because they have nothing else to talk about. They are bereft of positive, forward-looking policies. By contrast, the SNP have published a very progressive, transformative manifesto full of policies on health, education, justice, the economy, tackling climate change, policies to kickstart and drive our recovery once we have come through this acute phase of COVID. Um, and yes, when the crisis has passed, we do want to give people in Scotland the choice of independence because we believe it's not up to politicians to decide Scotland's future. It is up to the people of Scotland. But at the moment, my 100% focus, as it has been throughout the last year, is steering and guiding the country as best I can through the COVID crisis.
and you've promised that we should be seeing something a little more like normality come what mid-July thereabouts. How satisfied are you with the COVID vaccination rollout? The vaccination rollout is going incredibly well. I mean, I think back to the turn of the year and you know, my expectations for it then uh, have been exceeded. Uh, now that's because of a, a UK-wide procurement programme, but also uh, and mainly the dedication and expertise of vaccinators and vaccination teams across the country. So it's going really well. It is one of the things that has given us real hope for the future. Uh, obviously, everybody through the really tough sacrifices we've been making have helped to drive COVID levels down again. Uh, we've got to be careful we don't allow it to run out of control, but vaccination increasingly offers us that route back to something much closer to normality. It was a military precision operation when I went to get my first mm -hmm. uh, vaccine, and I have to say I rather found it overwhelming when I actually had that jab. How was it for you? Uh, very similar. I mean, you, you rightly talk about military Precision, that's how it was when I went to the hydro in, in Glasgow. Of course, the military were involved in the uh, setting up of the vaccination programme and we owe them a great debt of gratitude as well. But it's the vaccination teams uh, around the country that are really uh, excelling themselves. Obviously, there's a big team within the Scottish Government that are overseeing the supply and the distribution. They're doing a great job as well. But like you, I was quite emotional uh, getting the vaccine because everybody has come through so much and this you know little sort of uh, vial of, of vaccine into your arm just gives us so much hope for the future and so you know the uptake in the groups that we've vaccinated so far has been very high but I continue to encourage people if as soon as you get that blue envelope with your vaccination appointment or your text or however you're advised of it make sure you're coming forward and getting the vaccine as soon as possible. Nicola Sturgeon, you say you'll welcome a public inquiry into aspects of the government's response to the pandemic. Why not have that now? Well, I've been very clear in my mind that while we're still dealing with the acute phase of a pandemic, you have to allow people to focus on that, on the day-to-day -day job of, if you're working in the health service, keeping, you're know, treating people, keeping people safe in care homes, similarly, or just the country uh, as a whole. You know, we all know how difficult it is day-to-day -to, -day to get through a pandemic. A public inquiry, though I think it's really important, and I think as we come out of this, I want to see it up and running as quickly as feasible and I hope before the end of this year, but to distract everybody during the acute phase of the pandemic with the inevitable focus of a public inquiry, I think would have been the wrong thing to do. A public inquiry needs to have the time and space to get into the many issues that we want it to look at and then help us learn lessons from. If I may turn to some listener questions, please. This is from Drew in Uig, who listens to Radio Sky. Uh, and he's asking, is it time for a reform of Scottish local government and a change in how it's funded? Drew's suggesting a much greater percentage of tax raised locally should be retained locally. Yeah, I've got a lot of sympathy with that. We've had the local governance review over the past couple of years. We obviously that 
It took a bit of a backseat because of COVID, but we now want, uh, in partnership with local authorities, to uh, see that get up and running again so that we look at where power lies and push as much power down to local communities as possible. And just as, obviously, I hope this is not necessary in the future when Scotland becomes independent, but just as there's a fiscal framework between the UK and the Scottish Government, um, I think having a, a relationship like that between the Scottish uh, Government and local government, uh, we had plans, again, they had to be put on hold because of the pandemic, to allow local authorities, if they chose to, they weren't being obliged to, to levy a tourist uh, tax or to, to charge for workplace parking. So yes, I think there is a, an argument for giving local authorities more power, including uh, more financial power and having uh, money that is raised locally uh, more retained locally. We've, we've also put forward in our manifesto a proposal for a community wealth building bill, which is putting an obligation on public authorities, councils, health boards, uh, organisations that buy things with taxpayers' money to spend more of that money procuring and buying things in local communities so that you're effectively recycling uh, the, the benefit of the, the money and creating local wealth with it. That segues very well into a question from Ian Robertson in Haddington, listener to East Coast FM. And he's asking, how would you support charities and volunteers who help people in a broad range of ways in communities across Scotland? Well, we, we do uh, fund directly uh, many charitable organisations. Uh, and we have, uh, right throughout the time, the SNPs in government, even during the austerity years, tried to protect the money we give to what we call third sector organisations. But, you know, we need to continue to do that. I think we need to look at different ways of supporting uh, charities and third sector organisations, support them in their own fundraising. And I'm a big believer in having the, the third sector, social enterprises, charities, voluntary organisations, actually doing more of what we currently rely on our, our statutory organisations to do so they can uh, raise revenue that way because often they're better placed than anybody else to understand the needs of the people who use their services. A closing thought, Nicola Sturgeon, why should we vote for you? I am asking people to vote SNP in this election, uh, firstly to uh, allow me as First Minister uh, with my team to continue the strong leadership that the country needs to get us through the remainder of this pandemic. Secondly, to uh, support that progressive package of policies we've put forward to kickstart and drive our recovery. And then when the crisis is over, to allow people in Scotland to choose our own future rather than having people like Boris Johnson choose it for us. Nicola Sturgeon, leader of the Scottish National Party. Thank you very much for joining me Thank on you. the Week in Holyrood. Thank you. And that's The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Thank you for joining me on this Leaders Special. And my thanks, of course, to the party leaders for taking part in this broadcast across Scotland's community radio network. Join me again at the same time next week. Or on re